You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, So I'm in Dallas, Texas, getting ready to jump on an airplane and go somewhere else. Not going to be here for long. But this morning I picked up the newspaper. You could say I read the news today in Texas and oh boy. Story number one, the first story that popped out at me from the front page, religious protections okayed for adoption agencies. Quoting from the story in the Dallas Morning News, the Texas House has approved a bill that would provide legal cover to adoption and foster care agencies that turn away prospective parents or refuse certain services based on the agency's religious beliefs. Democrats and groups advocating for lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender rights said it amounted to state-sanctioned discrimination. Republicans heralded the bill's passage as a step forward in addressing the state's foster care crisis. This is a defensive bill. It allows everyone to participate, said the bill's author, Representative James Frank R. Wichita Falls. Yes, Texas has a foster care crisis. More kids in foster care than there are foster parents to look after those kids. And in actual fact, the bill doesn't allow everyone to participate, and it's not really a great way to address the foster care crisis. The bill is actually so broadly worded that it would allow adoption and foster care agencies to refuse to work with Jewish or Muslim couples who want to be foster parents even if the agency was placing a Jewish or Muslim kid. And it would allow adoption and foster care agencies to place kids in foster homes with strangers even if that particular kid had a gay relative who was qualified and willing to take them in. This is how Texas proposes to address its foster care crisis by making it worse. Oh, and this also in the story about this bill, the Department of Family and Protective Services Bill of Rights were recently amended to remove explicit protections for LGBT children, according to KXAN-TV. More than 40 percent of homeless teenagers are queer kids who were thrown out of the house after they came out or were outed. So lots of the kids heading into the foster care system are queer and many of them were abused, neglected or made homeless in the first place by their violently homophobic or transphobic parents who were acting on their, quote, sincerely held religious beliefs. Queer kids who are in the foster care system because their biological families abused and rejected them for being queer are often, you hear from these queer kids later, often placed in foster homes headed by religious conservatives where they're abused and rejected all over again for being queer. But Never let it be said that politicians in Texas only want to see queer kids suffer. They want all kids to suffer, queer and straight. Because in the other story on the front page of the Dallas Morning News that caught my eye, vaccine ban added to popular child protection services bill. House members voted Wednesday to bar doctors from vaccinating new foster children, even against cervical cancer and head and neck cancers caused by the human papilloma virus or HPV. Until a judge terminates parental rights, the parents' wishes on medical treatment for their children should be honored, argued GOP reps Bill Zedler and Tony Tinderholt, both of Arlington. 
There was actually one member of the Texas House, a Republican to be fair, Sarah Davis, who proposed to exempt vaccines from the ban that have been shown to prevent cancer. Her target was HPV, a virus that causes gentle warts, reports the Dallas Morning News. There's actually a vaccine for HPV and a really effective one, and that's the target of the bill. That's the vaccine that Zedler and Tinderholt were trying to prevent doctors from administering to foster kids. Religious conservatives hate the HPV vaccine because it allows people to have sex without having to risk at some point later in life dying of cancer. According to the CDC, 30,000, almost 31,000 cancers in men and women in the U.S. every year are caused by HPV and cervical cancer just in Texas killed 429 women in 2014. Men, of course, are at risk to cancers of, as the Dallas Morning News correctly pointed out, the head, neck, anus, and penis. And vaccination rates in Texas are appallingly low for kids because religious conservatives don't like this vaccine. Forcing kids, especially older kids, in foster care to wait until the parental rights of their biological parents are terminated, a process that can take years, means these kids may not be vaccinated against HPV until they're sexually active and possibly infected, which, you know, is the whole murderous point. Religious conservatives fought the introduction of the HPV vaccine because it saves lives. And the reason religious conservatives hated the HPV vaccine so very much was it deprived them of a talking point in abstinence education classes. HPV is really common. As you know, if you're a regular listener to the show, you've heard talked about this a lot. And it's very easily transmitted. It can be transmitted through skin-to-skin contact. Condoms provide some protection, but not terrific protection. And so HPV, really common. And in a small, small number of cases, has serious consequences, HPV infection. And abstinence educators, religious conservatives, love to cite the people who died of cancer because they had promiscuous sex outside the bounds of matrimony from HPV, died of an HPV-related cancer to scare kids out of having sex. And then along comes this vaccine that means HPV doesn't have to be that scary anymore and your kids won't grow up to die from cervical cancer or rectal cancer or penile cancer or throat cancer related to HPV infection. And religious conservatives lost their minds because they would rather you or your kids lose their lives than they lose a bullshit talking point, a scare tactic in their abstinence education courses. The CDC and I, me too, the CDC recommends that all children receive the HPV vaccine by age 12. I would recommend that all kids be evacuated from Texas immediately because with these assholes rattling around the Texas state legislature, with them having complete control and power in the Texas state legislature, thanks in part to GOP efforts to prevent people of color, poor people, working people, immigrants from voting, uh, they're going to remain in power there and keep making Texas less and less safe for kids. Texas. It's actually a lovely place. I've had a great time here in the time I've spent here. I'm speaking tonight at a big theater. I'm going to meet a lot of lovely people. But yeah, Not a great place to be a kid, particularly an at-risk kid, particularly a kid in foster care, thanks to the idiots in the Texas state legislature. All right, coming up on today's show, tons of your questions, lots of my answers, and special guest Erica Moen here to answer a couple of questions and make her monthly sex toy recommendation. Stick around. Hi, Dan. I'm a 25-year-old woman from Norway. I had this thing that happened to me. A couple of years ago, I'm now 25, going on 26, and at the time I was, well, 22 or 23, and um, one, what happened was one of my 
best friends in my class, we were super close. Like we would sleep in the same bed and like I would show her like front bikinis and be like, do you think I should bring this or this or this to vacation and stuff? And then what happened was she came out to me when she was drunk and um, basically said that, said that she was in love with me and that our kind of our entire friendship was, well, not a friendship, but um, it was based on her like being in love with me. So what happened after that was I didn't feel comfortable helping her through this or like holding her hand through uh, like coming out to her parents and all of that. And um, so she she sort of said some mean things to me, which I understand. I mean, she was hurt probably, but I sort of just withdrew from the situation and uh, we ended up not being friends anymore. I just wanted your advice on how to handle situations like that. I think it's a little unfair to say when she revealed that she was coming out and that she had a crush on you, that your entire friendship was not a friendship. It was only based on her being in love with you. People fall in love with their friends. That happens a lot. There's a lot of people I know who are in relationships now who were friends first and that love grew. So ascribing to your friend some ulterior motive all the way back to the beginning of the relationship, I think is unfair. And it points to, I think in you, perhaps a little bit of lesbo panic, right? You're in the room with this woman who's revealed to you that she's a lesbian and has feelings for you. And not only don't you reciprocate, you don't share those feelings. Not only do you need to shut that down, but then you create a narrative that's most likely false that justifies you running from the room and ending the relationship. And that seems unkind and unfair. And not only to your friend, but you also cheated yourself out of, out of her. There was a friendship there. There was a real connection there. It was different for her. She experienced it differently at some point, began to experience it differently than you experienced it. But there was something of value there that could have been finessed, preserved, perhaps. There are no guarantees. But we're not here to exhume that friendship and try to reestablish it. You want to know what to do if this should happen again in the future. Well, if you, if someone comes out to you and then tells you they have a crush on you, or if there's no coming out that needs to happen, just someone that you are friends with reveals that they have stronger feelings for you. What should you do? Well, you don't want to do anything that might give them false hopes. You don't want to encourage them to carry that torch actively or passively. You don't want to lead them on. And there are instances in our lives where we see this happen, where someone clearly has a crush on someone else and the person that the crush is had upon, the person who's being crushed on is suddenly exploiting the crusher. They're giving them just enough to keep them mooning after them and following them around and doing anything that they might want them to do. People will exploit and manipulate someone who has a crush on them and it's like pornography, you know, when you see it, you know, that dynamic when you see it and we've all seen it and people have done it. It's not just that something that people observe. Sometimes people actually do that. Some of us are guilty of it. So you don't want to do that. You don't want to exploit and you don't want to give someone false hopes. You also want to have clear boundaries. The exploitation can go the other way, particularly when there's a coming out involved and there's a straight person that is the object of the affection, the the crush E, the crushers, the person who has a crush, the crushers, crush E doesn't want to be perceived to be homophobic, doesn't want to not be supportive and winds up 
in situations that make them uncomfortable that they don't know how to extract themselves from where the crush-er is being unfair, is manipulating the crushy into believing that if they don't allow the crusher to cuddle with them or snuggle with them or hold them or be intimate in ways that aren't appropriate to a friendship, that the crushy is homophobic and the crushy to avoid being homophobic or being accused of being homophobic will wind up being intimate, not sexual, but intimate in ways that make them uncomfortable and are inappropriate. So be clear about your boundaries. I love you as a friend. I don't kiss and hug my friends. I don't cuddle on the couch with my friends. I love you as a friend. If the person who revealed their crush on you can't respect your boundaries, violates your boundaries, you have a right to end that friendship without guilt. And if they try to pivot from, I just needed to be held and the fact that you won't hold me means you're homophobic and you're making me feel bad about being queer, you just shut that shit down. No, that is not what this is about. This is about I don't cuddle my fucking friends. You don't see me hugging and cuddling my other friends, gay or straight. That is not something that is appropriate where I'm from to a friendship and how I conduct my friendships. I'm treating you equally, not in homophobic, in equal treatment. I'm treating you the same way I treat all my other friends. So basically that boils down to don't be shitty, right? Don't manipulate someone who has a crush on you and don't allow yourself to be manipulated by someone who has a crush on you. Don't be shitty by manipulating and don't put up with shittiness from a manipulator. Good luck the next time that happens to you. Hey, Dan, this is a very strange question to ask. Uh, recently I was hanging out with a friend and it was a friend that I've been friends with for about 10 years and we did for about six months and then we just melded into friendship. It was very natural. Recently, she got married. And during this point, she moved away multiple times from New York to LA or to UK. Like she had a lot of life to live. And she made a dude, got married. That's all fine. That's all good. I was hanging out with her tonight and we both moved on in significant ways. I have no feelings towards her. She has no feelings towards me. But, um, it came up during our dinner party that she was not cool with me saying in front of her husband that we had a history of dating, which kind of is confusing to me because, first of all, I present no threat. Second of all, we do have a bit of a difference when it comes to our, our general income. Uh, she makes a lot more. Her husband makes a lot more than I do. I'm kind of like a lesser cast. And uh, he was not there. And she told me straight up that she did not want me to ever tell him in front of people or him that we ever dated. And I took a bit of a defense to this, and I'm not sure why. I feel like I, I was bothered by the fact that, like, maybe she's offended by the fact that she might have dated me in her past. And I feel like her husband should be fine with that because it was 10 years ago, but... Anyway, here I am left kind of sitting here being a bit depressed about the context of being kind of this weird thrown away mental trash. And I'm, I've never come to terms with that, just reckoning with the reality of being someone else's trash, but they still want to be friends with. 
how do I handle this? Should I just cut off this friendship just because it clearly is not worth it to me? And, you know, we're in a different caste system already. She's very wealthy with her wealthy husband. And I am kind of poor and doing what I can, but I'm happy about it. Like, I'm proud of who I am, but yeah, I just don't want to have this in my life. Now, what I'm going to suggest is kind of radical, but I want you to go here with me. Just climb out onto this limb with me. Maybe it's not about you. Maybe it's not about your income. Let's ask ourselves, and or actually, let me ask you, what is likelier that your old friend and old flame's new husband doesn't care who his wife has fucked as long as she's never fucked a poor person? That it is about income. It is about caste. Or is it likelier that her new husband doesn't want his wife or has feelings or insecurities or sads about his wife hanging out with guys who used to fuck her. Which do you think is likelier based on everything you've ever heard anyone say on this show about the relationships that they're in? The latter. There are a lot of people out there who aren't comfortable with the people that they're married to or the people that they're currently dating hanging out with their exes. Now, some of those people weaponize that. Some of those people are abusers and abusive and manipulate and control and terrorize the people that they're with about their exes. But sometimes people just have a little bit of a raw nerve ending about that. It makes them insecure. Maybe they had a relationship with someone who left them for an ex and it just is this stone in their shoe and they don't terrorize and they're not abusive. They just want a little consideration, a little accommodation, a little sensitivity. And so rather than cut you out of her life, your old friend said, yeah, we just might want to keep the fact that we're used to date from my husband because dot, dot, dot. She, I think, owes you an explanation. But I think the explanation is so obvious that maybe she thought she didn't have to give it. Because I rarely hear people say, I'm fine with my girlfriend hanging out with her ex-boyfriend who's wealthy, but not her ex-boyfriend who's a busboy. Never, never, never. I only want rich dicks in my girlfriend's past and her pussy in the past. No poor dick. No, that it never comes up. It's telling that that's where you went, though. You know, if my theory is correct and the husband of your friend is insecure about her spending time with exes, I have another theory, which is that you're insecure about your income. And that's why your head went there first. And I don't think you should be insecure about your income. It takes all kinds. It takes all pay grades. There are a lot of people doing leading lives that they find very fulfilling that aren't very financially rewarding uh, in part because our system is rigged and people are getting fucked, but better you should live the life that gives you pleasure even if it doesn't give you yachts than be an investment banker and be fucking miserable and own a goddamn yacht. Live your life. Pursue your passions and maybe money will come or maybe money won't come, but you will lead then a rewarding life full of passionate shit and don't be insecure about it. Your friend and her husband make a lot of money. Maybe they've got a vacation home. Maybe being a good friend to them means you get to glom onto a little bit of that glamour. And maybe that'll be nice for you or maybe it'll just make you feel worse about the fact that you don't own a vacation home and, and may never. But come on. It's not about your income. It isn't. It's about him. It's about her marriage. It's not about you. It's about them. It'll make you feel better. You can ask your friend, like, what's the deal? Why is it that I can be your friend and be in your life and your husband's okay with you having male friends, but this detail about our old distant past isn't something you want me to share with him? And I guarantee you, 
99% chance that the answer you're going to get is husband insecure about exes, not husband only wants rich dick and wife's pussy at any point in her life. That is an answer I don't think anyone has ever gotten ever to that question. Hi, Dan. Uh, I'm a gay man in my early 30s. Uh, I've been with my uh, boyfriend for about five years now, and uh, we have a really great relationship. We have a lot of fun together. I feel like uh, it's solid. Uh, But uh, several months ago, we both started playing around with the idea of uh, hooking up with other boys through the various apps, just sort of for fun, looking around. And then that sort of led to the occasional threesome on vacation and mostly together, not separately. Recently, he met a boy on Grinder, And I say boy because uh, he's 18. He's always been into younger guys, which I'm totally cool with and also sort of into. But, uh, you know, of course, my first concern was uh, your campsite rule and uh, making sure that, you know, however this went down, that, you know, someone that young wasn't going to get hurt and uh, everything was just going to be fun and positive. Uh, so at first, uh, this this boy uh, uh, hung out with us a lot and we sort of did stuff as a threesome. We uh, played and just had a good time. Um, but gradually, uh, my boyfriend and this guy have gotten closer uh, to each other and um, definitely have an intimate relationship, an emotional relationship. And I sort of was okay with it at first, but I'm realizing now that it's it's kind of bothering me because uh, I never wanted a poly relationship. That's not what we agreed to or signed up for. It was always meant to just be sort of fun hookups, nothing, no strings attached. So now I sort of just feel like the platonic third wheel when I'm with them. And uh, I told my boyfriend how I feel, and he understands, uh, but he also has real feelings for this guy. And I now feel like I'm sort of being asked for him to choose. I'm not really jealous, I don't think. I just never really wanted this sort of threesome where I'm not really in the relationship. I'm afraid of ruining this amazing relationship, but I'm also afraid of hurting this other guy if, you know, I ask my boyfriend to, you know, uh, spend less time with him or just reject him outright. I tried to call you because I was curious about the timeline here, but you were not accepting calls when we reached out and tried to call you. Really curious about the timeline because you say that you've been with your boyfriend for five years and you began to play around with the idea of having sex with other people and you only began to play around with the idea of three ways and maybe playing with other people a little bit a few months ago. And over the course of those few months, you went from the discussion to threesomes on vacation. And then you say your boyfriend recently, you two recently met this 18 year old guy on grinder and had a three way. And this relationship has now progressed to a point where you feel like the platonic third wheel, where you feel like your boyfriend got a boyfriend and has imposed polyamory on you and his real passion is for this kid and this kid's real passion is for him and you're just sort of there. And all of that transpired in the last three months, which how long has your boyfriend and and how long have you been messing around with this 18-year-old, this adult that you met on Grindr? Because if it's only been a couple of weeks and they're just flipped by the NRE, the new relationship energy as the polyamorous kids call it, not that you wanted to be polyamorous, it, it seems to me that this is something that could just flame out rather quickly, that this is going to burn hot and burn fast. 
That said, you still have to have a conversation with your boyfriend about what it is that he wants going forward. Your boyfriend got a boyfriend without getting his boyfriends okay about the bonus boyfriend, the extra boyfriend. You two have backed into polyamory. That is sometimes how it happens. People say they're going to swing. They say they're going to have three ways. They have a few three ways with one person. Both, ideally, if people are going to back into poly, both people in the couple sort of catch feelings for this person simultaneously and then they have to acknowledge this is more than just a play partner or a hookup or a fuck friend. Other times it happens like this where one person in the couple catches feelings for the very special guest star for the third who catches feelings for that one person and the other half of the couple is like, wait, what? I did not sign up for this. Your boyfriend has essentially moved you into a house that he didn't tell you he was buying and now you have to decide whether you want to live there and on what terms. If that is not a house that you want to live in, you need to make that clear to your boyfriend that you are moving out. And he should, if he still wants to be your boyfriend, come with you. And if he doesn't want to come with you, well, he's communicating something to you about the future of your relationship with him, which is not a positive thing he's communicating. And it, that may be it. It may be over. But if your boyfriend wants to still be with you, then he's going to have to move the fuck out of this house. He's going to have to end things with the 18-year-old. And you say you don't want to hurt the other guy and you don't want to get hurt either, but you're hurting right now. If things continue the way they are right now, you will stay in pain. You'll still feel like the platonic third wheel outside of this relationship, outside of your own relationship. And if he gets stomped, he's going to get hurt. He's 18 years old. 18-year-olds, you know what they're in the business of primarily at that stage of their romantic and sexual life? Getting dumped. So it's not anything that he shouldn't expect. It's not anything that wouldn't necessarily benefit him. Getting dumped, having a relationship that ends for reasons beyond your control is part of what helps us learn and grow as relationship material, as potential boyfriends and girlfriends down the road and in the future. Sorry, if you're 18 years old and you've never been dumped, give it a week. It's probably coming. So I don't think you should be too concerned about avoiding hurting this boy. Part of honoring the campsite rule when it ends is to be as compassionate as possible, is to be as understanding and keep the lines of communication open and be empathetic, but be clear that it's ending. The campsite rule doesn't require you to never hurt that person. It's to about, about avoiding – and the campsite rule, for those of you who don't know it yet, is we should leave our sex partners in better shape than we found them, particularly when there's a large age and or experience gap. The campsite rule doesn't mean you can never give somebody their walking papers, that you can never make someone sad. You don't want to give somebody a sexually transmitted infection. You don't want to give somebody an unplanned pregnancy. You don't want to give somebody false expectations about a future together that may not – be in the offing and that could be what's happening here. That's one of the things specifically in the campsite rule when I first drafted it was not to give people false expectations about long-term prospects where, when that is not possible. But the only person who knows whether that is not possible, something long-term coming from this, is your boyfriend. What are his intentions? What does he want? You need to have a potential relationship extinction level event conversation with your boyfriend. And coming out of that conversation, there is going to be a relationship extinction level event. The question is, the unanswered question is, which relationship is going to go extinct? His with you or yours with this 
adult 18-year-old man that you met on Grindr. Hi, Dan. I have a question about fuck buddies. I dated this guy for a whole year, and it was great, but it ended. And we became best friends who have sex. And I don't know whether this is a real fuck buddy relationship or whether we are still kind of in a relationship as the sex never went away. We just kind of changed the relationship dynamic a little bit. My friends think that this is a terrible idea and that I should be totally like rid of this person, but I'm having a great time and I enjoy his company and this was great. And I don't know what to do. Should I take my friend's advice or should I continue what to do? What makes me happy? All right, we caught you in your car, but you've pulled over to the side of the road, right? I don't like to talk to people who are driving. No, 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 no. You're fine. Okay, so, so other listeners, that's why there's a little bit of ambient noise there. You're, there's a freeway or an expressway or trucks going by. Uh, I had a follow-up question for you, and I, I, something I need to know before I can give you an answer. Why did you guys break up? You know, if your friends think you should be rid of him and are advising you to to get free of him, maybe that's because your friends watched the relationship itself, and if it was a complete shit show, if he was an asshole, if he was emotionally abusive, or God forbid, physically abusive, and that's why the relationship ended, then you should listen to your friends. Yeah, no, so here's what happened. He had a major health scare, mm-hmm. and it freaked him out, and he decided to make a bunch of changes, and he's like, I think we should, you know, I, I think we need to break up, And I was like, cool, like, let's move on. Like, I'm good with it. And the thing is, is that we keep circling around to each other. We keep spending all our time together. We keep sleeping together. Would you like to be in a relationship official with him again? Because you're still in a relationship. Like, friends with benefits is a relationship. You're still in a relationship. You've downgraded from boyfriend-girlfriend to FWB, and it is a downgrade. Would you want to be girlfriend-boyfriend again, perhaps something more in the future? Yeah, right now I'm like applying to graduate school. I'm like really busy. And like I go on dates with guys who are available. Like we both go on dates. And this is the weird thing. This is why I called you is we get kind of turned on about hearing about each other's dates. <laughs> Marry that man. Okay. Does that make sense? Like, like we can talk about that and it doesn't squeak each other out and I don't get jealous and uh-huh. I'm not like, oh, my fucking man, don't touch him. Like, I'm like, oh my God, you and I date, you fucked this girl. That's awesome. Can we go home and have sex now too? So you enjoy each other's company. You enjoy the sex that you have. You like that each other is, you know, fucking other people. And you're at, not only do you like it or approve of it or you're okay with it, it turns both of you on equally and mutually. You guys are made for each other. This is like a perfect kind of poly cuckold cut queen sort of kismet Yahtzee situation. Yeah, you, sh- you don't listen to your friends. Don't listen to your friends. Keep seeing the guy. Keep hanging out with the guy. Maybe, you know, he'll come around, you know, post this health scare, realize you're the right woman for him, and it kind of sounds like you are. Or you'll meet somebody who's you're going to run off with. You know, some new man will come along that'll make all our men disappear. Uh, or, you know, he'll meet some woman and that'll be the end of it. But in the interim, you guys really enjoy each other and you enjoy each other enjoying other people. And who knows, you know, maybe he'll see the logic of the relationship. And are you on the page where, if, you know, you two do get back together? It doesn't have to be exclusive considering how much you both enjoy the unexclusivity right now. You can be in a committed relationship that's not sexually exclusive. As I'm sure you know, if you listen to this show... 
I I listen all the time to your show, and like that's kind of where I'm at. I'm like, well, can we just be each other's boyfriend and girlfriend and just keep doing what we're doing? It do like does it really matter? Like, you know, like one size does not fit all. We don't have to be in this like you know, like you know, like marriage to death to us part. Like keep all this expectation on it. Can't we just have what we have and enjoy that? That's what he says. Is that, I mean, maybe. Can't we just have what we have in enjoy No, that's that? what I say. That's what you say. Okay, what does yeah, he say when you say. say that? Well, I haven't said that to him. Oh, well, for fuck's sake, over up and say that to him already. <laughs> okay, I will. I mean, you're kind of doing it already. And if, you know, every time you try to name it, he panics and runs. Well, that's not somebody that you can be with for the long haul. Because the long haul requires naming it at some point. And... And, 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 you know, each of you having reasonable expectations that you can place on the other and both of you having mutual obligations that comes if it's a long haul, long term thing, even if it's a long haul, long term FWB thing, I think it comes with reasonable expectations and mutual obligation. If you're somebody's friends with benefits and they have a crisis, you can't just be like, oh, no, sorry, I'm only your friend when I'm fucking you. That's <laughs> asshole. Like if somebody that you're an FWB with has a crisis, you should come through for them to whatever extent that is possible for you. It's a lower level commitment. It's still a commitment of sorts. But if, you know, if he can never name it, then just enjoy it for what it is for as long as it lasts. And since it's not foreclosing other options for you, you're not not dating other guys. You're not not still looking around. You're not not open to possibility. Sorry about the triple double negatives there, but. I don't see any downside here. I think your friends are standing on archaic principle and you should ignore them and do what feels right. And clearly him and his dick and those other dicks all feel right. And you should do them all. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for calling me. I really appreciate the advice. You're welcome. Get back on the road. Hi, Dan. Um, My boyfriend and I have been together for about eight months and he was lasting way too long in bed and I read some articles and we went to a doctor and basically they said it might have been how much weed he's smoking and now he's not smoking any weed and now he barely lasts a minute in bed and the problem is is that we've tried a lot of foreplay but the foreplay just like turns him on too much so if he's eating me out he just like he'll start coming like it like after five minutes and it's a problem. So how can we make him just last longer? Because like, it doesn't feel very good when he's only inside of me for a minute before he finishes or before he even gets in there. Thanks. Is this a trick question? Cause you know, the answer, how to make your boyfriend last longer, get your boyfriend high. That seemed to do the trick. You ran a little experiment, You removed pot from the equation and he went from lasting too long to not lasting at all. Maybe there's a happy medium in there somewhere. Maybe there's a point at which he's high enough to slow down a little but not high, so high that he wears you out. I would encourage you to perhaps experiment with low-dose edibles to see if you can't hit that sweet spot. They say – there were articles a few years ago about some drugs that might be in the pipeline to help men with – premature ejaculation, but I have not heard any more about that all these years later. So I don't think those are in the pipeline. They're in your boyfriend's pipe already though. And I would encourage you to break that thing back out. You don't have to get high. He doesn't have to get high every time that you have sex. There must be times when you guys 
are having sex where it's not about PIV. And if there aren't times when you guys are having sex where it isn't about PIV, I encourage you to start having sex at times when it isn't about PIV. Those times when you guys are just going to do mutual masturbation or oral to completion, don't get high. He doesn't need to get high. But on nights when you want to get the shit fucked out of you, when you want to make it about PIV, he should get high. Maybe not as high, a little high. And if he gets too high and it's taking him too long, he can pull out. He can use his own right hand to get himself closer, dive back in, pull out, get closer, dive back in, pull out, get himself closer, and eventually push himself to the, they call it the point of orgasmic inevitability, and then dive back in and finish inside you while also having provided you with plenty of dicking during the maybe not 90 minutes, but 20 minutes that you would prefer it to be. Good luck. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. Add a listener, switching to female, calling from the Southwest. I'm attending my senior high school reunion this summer, but I originally was not going to go because my ex-boyfriend, who raped me when I was 17, was attending. We were a big graduating class, but we had a long relationship, and a lot of people are going to remember us being together. And we were together for a little while after high school as well, but only two people knew he raped me. I choose to go because I don't want his bad decision to affect what I do or don't do. I would undoubtedly go if he had not assaulted me. I'm in a loving, committed relationship, and my partner says they're supportive, but will not be attending with me. When I go, I'm not going to engage him, but my question for you is, what if he engages me? And let's assume it's friendly. I've had therapy, I've got my triggers managed, and I just simply don't want to spend any time with him at this event. How do I tell him that I don't want to spend any time at this event with him without drawing attention to the fact that I want nothing to do with him and that he should spend his night with other people? I don't want to explain to other people why I have no desire to speak to him. I just want to enjoy my evening. I'm sorry you were raped. I'm glad that you got the help that you needed, obviously, so that you could learn to manage your triggers and uh, be able to discuss this uh, as rationally as you just discussed it with me. I would encourage you to make sure that you have friends there who are going to be buffers for you and uh, allies for you in case you need them. I also, and this is my perspective as someone who has not faced this particular situation, having to go into a space uh, where everyone is expected to socialize uh, and hang out with somebody who harmed me or assaulted me in this way. So take this for what it's worth. And indeed, we welcome other people who've uh, confronted this exact circumstance to call in with their observations and their advice, and we'll play them for you on a future show. But my advice would be to reach out to this guy yourself in advance or deputize a mutual acquaintance to reach out to him in advance through social media and say, look, we're both going to be here. I don't want to interact with you. You raped me. I've gotten the help that I've needed, but it would not be helpful for me and could set me back to have to interact with you. And I just want to go and have a good time. So leave me the fuck alone and there won't be a scene. And if there is a scene, if you can't respect my wishes and I get upset, I'm not going to hold my tongue when people ask me why I'm upset. You do have some leverage here and I would encourage you to use it. It might be painful for you to reach out yourself and you don't want to establish lines of contact or open lines of communication between you and him or link him up with your social media. So again, find a friend, one of the people maybe who's going to be at the event or will go to the event with you in place of your partner 
who can reach out and uh, relay that information to your rapist. Hi, Dan Savage and the At Risk Youth. I'm calling um, from the Midwest. I am 26 years old and have been with my husband for 10 years, um, married almost two. We are right now in the midst of a very exciting thing. He met a woman on Tinder who we're thinking about having a threesome with. And I am just wondering about how to sort of go on with that. My husband is meeting her tomorrow. Um, I'll probably meet after that. We don't want it to be like a interview process. And then I don't know what's going to happen after that, but we have made boundaries for ourselves. Do we like talk about her boundaries? Do we tell her that we've never been with anyone other than each other? It's been 10 years when people hear we're 26 and we've been together 10 years. They tend to understand that, but I don't know if that would be too much information. I'm usually, I usually give people too much information. So should I like try to withhold a little more? Um, also, do we just like, do we pay on dates? Do we split the bills? Just like general questions. If you don't want it to be an interview process, why the multiple meetings? First meeting with your husband to be vetted, then meeting with you to be vetted. Seems to me that you might just want to have one meeting with both of you where the three of you hang out to see what kind of rapport the three of you have. As for the rest of your questions, I listed them because there were so many. Do we talk about her boundaries? No, of course not. Only the couple matters in the three-way with the very special guest star. Yes, of course you talk about her boundaries and you have to be solicitous. You have to draw her out. If she's shy or hesitant to share with you her experiences or her expectations, it is on you to ask her questions, to be solicitous, to draw her out, to get that out of her. And one of the ways you get that out of someone is by just being very direct and open yourself about your expectations and your boundaries. But yeah, her boundaries matter just as much or in some ways more. Well, I don't want to say more. I don't want to make a hierarchy of boundaries here. Everybody's boundaries matter equally, but a couple who wants to bring in a third needs to demonstrate to that third that they see them as a human being, as a person with needs and desires, and the three-way is about them too, and their boundaries are just as important to the couple as the couple's boundaries and expectations and limits should be to the third. So yeah, you talk about her boundaries. Do we tell her we've never been with anyone other than each other before? Yeah, that might be information that would be helpful for her to have. That might actually inform whether or not she does want to play with you and you should disclose that. If you let her go in thinking you've done this a million times before and, and you have a meltdown watching your husband mess around with another woman or he has a meltdown watching you mess around with her because neither of you have been with anyone else ever since you were 16 years old, that's something she might want a little advance notice about to be sensitive to uh, or if she's not down to politely decline the three-way, which is her right. So yeah, you do tell her that this is a new experience for both of you as a couple. Do we give her too much info or do we try to withhold? You've got to use your best judgment. Somebody that you're going to have a three-way with wants all the relevant info. Your general sexual health, whether whether you have any chronic sexually transmitted infections. Uh, again, the history about the fact that you guys have never been with anyone else. And then the discussion about your boundaries and your expectations, all relevant. That your mother had breast cancer last year and is fine now, maybe not relevant to this conversation. Maybe you don't need to disclose that. Your student loan debt, not relevant. Don't need to disclose that. But everything that is using your best judgment relevant to the conversation about being intimate and sexual with each other, that you need to disclose. And you err on the side perhaps of oversharing rather than risk undersharing 
and having someone feel like they wound up in your bed under false pretenses. Do you pay on dates? Well, yeah. You ask this woman out on a date, basically. You two together are trying to seduce her. And I think that it would be a lovely gesture for you guys to pick up the tab when you go out for dinner or drinks, considering that you guys will have run up two-thirds of the bill. So why not pick up the last third as well? Good luck. Hi, Dan. Uh, I'm a 22-year-old woman calling on behalf of myself and my sister, who's a 20-year-old woman. And we are both broke college students who um, came across this Craigslist ad looking for Jewish egg donors. We are Jewish, and we were talking about this, and you know, we don't know anyone who has donated their eggs, but we know that in theory it is a mitzvah. It's a you know a good deed, but is it a teensy bit racist? And we're trying to hash this out together, but we wanted some advice because we personally don't know anyone who's done this and um, just wanted to hear what you would think. I'm sure you don't need this gay cultural Irish Catholic to acquaint you with the, I don't know what it's called, the doctrine, the dogma of matrilineal descent, which is the rule. Religion is all about sometimes seemingly arbitrary rules. The rule that Judaism is passed from mother to child through matrilineal descent. So it's perfectly understandable that there may be devout uh, Jewish couples out there, secular or not, who, if they are having fertility issues, might like to have Jewish eggs or eggs from a nice Jewish girl. So I think it's a mitzvah. I think you should go ahead and do it. And I don't think you should be the least bit self-conscious about it. And if you're concerned about racism. There are many worse forms of racism at play in egg and sperm donor land where everyone seems to want over six foot, tall, blonde, blue eyed, whatever's to donate that kind of DNA to be the DNA machine. So I've read magazine articles and heard uh, recently a radio report about this very issue about the kind of creepy eugenics ish, racist ish dynamics that are, I, I don't think created by the egg industry or the sperm donor industry, but reflected by it, that these are biases at play in the culture. And you can certainly detect echoes and strains of it in fertility land. So, But on this issue, Jewish couples out there seeking Jewish eggs for donation, I think you can feel pretty good about it because of the whole matrilineal descent thing. So go for it. We're going to take a quick break from your calls. It is that time of month when Erica Moen from Ojoy Sex Toy. Ojoy Sex Toy is a weekly comic about sex toys and sex education. There are three volumes of Ojoy Sex Toy out in book form now, and a fourth is coming. You can find Ojoy Sex Toy at ojoysextoy.com. Hey, Erica. Hey. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? Good. So what sex toy do you have for us this month? Okay, this time I've got a dildo. Well, actually, a whole bunch of dildos, but I'll just focus on one. Um, okay, so you know how Fleshlight makes all those fuck sleeves that you stick your dick into and it turns out they also have a branch where they make dildos so like you can stick a dick into you with one of their products um and that branch is called flesh jack and uh and they've made some really lovely cocks um they're molded after like for reals porn stars so you can watch them in action and then you can order one and <laughs> have it come to your house and uh my husband and i sat down and we tried out six of them all in one night and it was awesome like 
each cock was so distinctive and had its own personality and they all felt different and like, ah, I don't know. I was, I was really, really impressed with the quality of them. Anyway, my favorite was Nick Lavelle mm-hmm. and uh, they're all about 45 to $60 and you can get them from, I think it's fleshjack.com or at least you can always just go straight to Fleshlight and then find Fleshjack on there. But yeah. You know, uh, I love that recommendation, but I, I'm kind of hung up on the idea of a whole bunch of dildos, that we need a plural for that, like a pride of lions, a murder of crows, maybe a, con- oh. a congress of dildos. Maybe the like the name for a group of dildos should be a congress. Dildos are fun and good and make you happy. A congress implies politics and assholes. I mean, assholes in the bad way, not the fun way. Because <laughs> assholes can be good and make me very happy at times. They can, they can, but not the ones who are in congress. While we have you on the phone this month, we wanted to throw a couple of questions at you because as we were preparing for your visit this month, uh, we got some questions. We were like, oh my God, I'm sure Erica knows the answers to these. Can you stick around for a couple? Yeah, I'll do my best. Hello. I recently invested in one of those womanizer vibrators. They're kind of expensive and the idea is that they're supposed to like provide suction to your clit and their thing is that it's supposed to be like an instant orgasm. Well, I don't know if the one I got is bum or what, if I just don't like it, because when I turn it on, it barely does anything at all. And then I turn up the pressure and it's still really not that much. Um, I've heard really good things about them though. And so I'm not sure I'm 100% ready to give up on it yet. So I was wondering if the next time you have like one of your sex toy experts on, if they could speak to the womanizer. So the womanizer, are you familiar with that one? I am, actually. I, I have one, and I have used it. And? Well, first, what an odd name for a, a sex toy made for women. The womanizer? Like, it's not a compliment to say someone is a womanizer. I know. It's like, okay, here's the funny thing. Like, it came out, and all the sex toy reviewers reviewed it, and they're like, okay, wow, this for reals works. This is really incredible. And, oh, my God, that name. Well, and there were two big complaints about the womanizer. And one of them was that it was decorated in this really tacky way. Like, the the design of it, at least the, the version 1.0, uh, just did not look appealing. It looked really cheap. It had leopard print on it, like neon pink leopard print. And it just, uh, it looked ridiculous. And it, the it name. It did not look like. And the name. And and the name. So it's like a dildo for gay men named the homophobe or the gay basher. It's like, really? I'm going to oh put that in my ass? <laughs> well, so the womanizer of the company was like, hmm, good notes, good feedback. We're going to adjust the design. It's like they've redesigned it. It looks a lot nicer. It's a lot less tacky. But they kept the name. I was like, guys, <laughs> that would be the easiest thing to change, wouldn't it? But whatever. It's called the womanizer. Just pretend it has a different name. But you say that it works. It does. It's not a vibrator. It is. It's a suction toy. It's this little, like, think of an octopus's tentacle, and it's got a little sucker cup on it. Mm, hot. And so you've got this little. Oh, oh yeah. If you uh, <laughs> if you like tentacles, <laughs> hey. Um, so you take this little sucker cup thing and you put it on your clit, and it kind of ideally makes a bit of a seal around it, and then you turn it on, and it just starts sucking. And so there's no vibration. It's I mean, it, obviously, it can't really be like oral sex, but the closest I can think of would be like if somebody puts their mouth on your clit and they decide to very gently suck on it, mm-hmm. and it's that kind of stimulation. But there's no like there's no tongue flicking your clit or anything. It's just the suction. So if it's just working for other women as designed, and it's not working for the caller, is she using it wrong? Is her 
clit not the right shape or size for this particular toy? What's what's not what's the what do you think the disconnect for her might be? Okay, so I thought of two options. And one is that she's not making that suction in the first place. Like it might be off center a little bit. She doesn't have all the edges of that little suction ring like pressed down she's firmly. Not, like she's it's literally not, not sealing the deal. Oh, yes. Well put. Um, yeah, so that's an option. Or another option is everybody's body is different. Uh, different things work for different people. And maybe suction is just not your thing. Um, and that's okay. You're not, you're not failing. The toy's not failing. It's just mutually incompatible. So the, the, our advice, you know, give it one more try. Give the womanizer one more try and see if you yeah. weren't sealing it properly to get that, that, that suction effect. Uh, and if you are sealing it properly and you are getting the suction effect and it doesn't do anything for you, it doesn't mean you have a damaged clit, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you, it just means that kind of stimulation doesn't hit your nerve endings the right way and you should try a vibrator yeah. or try something else. Yeah, get a doxy. Those are nice. Hi, Dan. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Um, what is the lowdown on anal lubricants? Uh, I've heard so many different things. Tried many different based in silicone lubes. But then I've read lately about coconut oil uh, is very popular in the porn industry, other types of oils. I've heard that the old school leather guys prefer Crisco, at least for fisting. I figure if it works for fisting, it must be great. My wife has heard that coconut oil will give you diarrhea. Is this true? I'm also curious about a product called Boy Butter I just need advice. Uh, I've tried a lot. My cabinet is full of anal lubes, and I'm still looking for something better. I've never really tried oils. What do you think? Actually, I don't think anyone uses Crisco for fisting anymore. All the fisters that I know, all the fisters that we have over for Thanksgiving dinner, use something called J-Lube, which is this powder that you mix with water on your own, and then you put it at the viscosity that works for you, and that's what all the fisters use, J-Lube. Nobody uses Crisco anymore. I've never actually heard of J-Lube. The rest is up to you, though. What should he be using for anal? Okay, well, for anal, what you really want to go for is silicone. Um, I mean, there are good water-based lubes as well, but silicone is, uh, it, it does not get absorbed into your body, so it stays slick so long. And, like, you have to shower to get it off. Uh-huh. Um, and so in, inside your anus, there's that does not produce um, its own lubrication unlike the vagina um and so you want a lube in there that's really going to last and is not going to be need to be refreshed so much so you really want to go for silicone and personally my husband and i were big fans of uber lube which i always want to call uber luber <laughs> and um this one i don't actually know how to say this right so i'm going to mangle this pajor or maybe the p is silent and it's just jor p-j-u-r um sorry i'm not <laughs> very literate with pronouncing those things um but yeah those are two they're really slick they last really long um i don't know they're, they're good quality i i recommend those um and, and as for yeah. oils like oh, oil, oil-based lubricant or coconut oil i haven't heard this thing about using coconut oil it's going to give you diarrhea but it is true that if you're using an oil-based lubricant and condoms oil-based lubricants damage latex and they can result in a yes. broken condom and that's not what you want if you're using condoms. You don't want that condom to break. So you're going to want to use silicone or some other form of lubricant and not an oil-based one. Yeah, although I do have a caveat about oil stuff. And that is um, if you are fluid-bonded, so you don't need to use uh, condoms with your partner, and 
you're just doing it for butt stuff, like you can use oil-based lubricants. Um, like it's not the end of the world, but again, if you need condoms, don't use oil and don't use oil-based lubes, uh, or just oil-based products, period in the pussy. That is bad news bears. Why is that? Oh, because it causes yeast infections and like cogs up your pores, your delicate pussy pores. And it's just, you, you don't want oil in, in that zone. All right. Erica Moen, one of the geniuses behind Oh Joy Sex Toy. There are three volumes out now in book form and a fourth on the way. Isn't that right, Erica? Yeah, we're actually kickstarting right now. So if you go to Kickstarter and you type in Oh Joy Sex Toy, you can go get a copy of volume four and they're all standalone, so you don't need to read the previous ones. And the fourth one's the best one anyway, so <laughs> get that one. So it would be a pre-order for Volume 4. But if you want to read the first three volumes, if you haven't been reading Ojoy Sex Toy all along and you want to catch up, you can go to the website, ojoysextoy.com, and you can also order the books, the Volumes 1, 2, and 3 of Ojoy Sex Toy. And I really recommend them. It's not only entertaining and very human and beautiful, it's also really funny and really fucking educational. It's great stuff. You guys, you and Matt uh, do great work. And I'm, I'm so thrilled you're a regular guest on the show. Oh, thank you so much. That means the world to me. Thank you so, so much. Dan, I am the luckiest girl in the world. I'm a heteroflexible, 27-year-old, cis PhD student living in Los Angeles, dating a wonderful professional dancer based in New York. He is the usual kind, loving, brilliant, attentive, sensitive, GGG, politically engaged, committed, has a sense of humor, the best parents ever. He even watches Star Trek with me. <laughs> I, could, I could go on and on. Really, he's everything I thought I would never find in a man in this world. Most of all, trust him completely. We're happily in an open relationship and occasionally explore other people, not only on our own, but together. And though he's a bit younger than me and not as experienced, he's navigating these waters with more skill and grace than I had ever thought possible for a heterosexual male in his early 20s. Here's the only thing. Being with a male dancer or any athlete, I imagine, has its challenges, especially when you're in a long-distance, open relationship. He is constantly surrounded by immaculate female bodies, bodies of exes and lovers and friends. And as confident as I am in myself, sometimes it's just a bit much. I can barely open my Facebook or Instagram without being assaulted by half-naked photos or even sometimes totally naked photos of someone he has slept with or is sleeping with. It's also not their fault. This is how dancers promote themselves, and it's, it's totally normal. Now, to be fair, I also find it hot, and I directly benefit from it. He sometimes brings me lovely play things and we all have fun together. But as much as I've been doing yoga and keep myself in pretty good shape these days, I'm an academic, not a professional athlete. And for the first time in my life, I've been having some body image issues. He is reassuring and always tells me how beautiful I am and how much he loves my physique. So I realize this is my own shit to deal with. But Dan, how do you deal with being in an open relationship with a professional dancer? when you're never going to be in as good a shape as his exes or his other partners, especially when those bodies are all over your social media, basically naked. Help. There's no Instagram like ballet Instagram. I follow quite a few male ballet dancers on Instagram just for the thigh candy, and it is amazing. But it is opt-in. You can unfollow people on Instagram if you know that – looking at the bodies of the female dancers that your hot male 
dancer boyfriend works with and sometimes sleeps with makes you feel insecure, unfollow those bitches. You don't have to follow them. You can weed your social media accounts and spare yourself the grief, the angst, the insecurities, the comparisons that are also opt-in. You don't have to make those comparisons. People have preferences around bodies and sometimes those preferences exist like so many other things these days on a spectrum. And it may be that your boyfriend really loves a rock hard belly bitch body like his. And there may be times that your boyfriend really loves somebody who's a little less intense with the musculature, a little less hard, but still in glorious shape. And that's you, or he may prefer your body type over these basic ballet bitches that he's surrounded by all the time. You have to take his word for it. You have to be reassured by his actions when he gets together with you, when you guys are in the same place at the same time, he is coming at you with his rock hard thighs and his awesome arms and shoulders and ballet boy butt, right? And throwing all that at you. Take that kind of yes for an answer. I would if I were in your shoes and stop following the women on Instagram, the women on Facebook that he works with that give you the sad, insecure feels. Stop following them. Weed your feed. Hi, Dan. Uh, I'm a 31-year-old gay male uh, living in the New England area. Uh, just moved up there from the south uh, to be with someone I met on vacation, and he was on vacation, and it just kind of worked out. Um, anyways, my question is, chemistry is great as far as like how we interact, the time we spend together. We're very much uh, just in love with one another. Uh, we complement each other extremely well. Uh, the only issue is when it comes to the sex. When we met, we met kind of having a four-way, and it was really hot, honestly. After that, you know, we talked every night for about two to three hours for about five months until uh, I moved up from the South. So, like, really great emotional chemistry foundation set for a relationship. Um, whenever we would visit one another, um, sex was just kind of wasn't really there. Um, like, there was cuddling and kissing, which is apparently what he wanted to do a lot, but that was about it. Just to let you know, uh, I'm 31, he's in his mid-50s, but, you know, everything else seemed to work okay. When I kind of asked him, hey, you know, you don't seem like you're into it because he would just kind of lay there with his eyes closed. Didn't, whenever we would engage in more sexual activities, he was just, I said, you know, to do that and then say goodbye to you. That just seemed like that would be too hard emotionally. Um, kind of went with that, moved up here, him saying that things were uh, going to get better um, sexually once I moved up. And um, things haven't. It's still kind of a task. I feel like I'm constantly putting myself out there trying to initiate something that he says that he wants, but he won't initiate it. Just curious. He says he finds me very sexually attractive. I think he's very sexually attractive. But we're just kind of in this weird rut. And I feel like I'm doing everything I can in order to make him feel comfortable and kind of guide in the direction where I I feel in my mind a healthy sex life would exist. Any thoughts as far as the age gap, if that's a factor, or any other things that I might consider? Thanks, Dan. I appreciate your advice. I think good sex can get better, but no sex or lousy sex rarely improves with time or commitment or marriage ceremonies or childbirths or moves like the move that you made. But there are no absolutes when it comes to sex and relationships. And maybe if you keep hammering away at this problem, 
you will achieve some breakthrough. But let's look at your boyfriend's actions here. He's shutting you down. He's not initiating. He's not responding when you do initiate. When you can manage to get something vaguely sexual off the ground, he lays there doing nothing with his eyes closed. It doesn't sound like he's very sexually available to you or open to you. Or maybe it's just two-person sex that doesn't do it for him or there's something about sex when mixed with emotional intimacy that triggers some circuit breaker in his libido or his erotic imagination and tosses him out of it because I assume that four-way that you guys had, the occasion when you met, that he was active and participating and into it and into you in a circumstance where there were others, where there was an audience and where he didn't know you very well. There are some people out there who have a hard time being intimate and sexual with people that they know. Sometimes older gay people particularly manifest this problem, which is not to say they all do, and I'm roughly your boyfriend's age, and I certainly don't have this problem, where there may be lingering generational shame issues. And anonymous sex allows them to feel sexually free because they don't feel like there's anything at stake or the person that they're being intimate with is going to judge them. And it would be crazy unfair of him to think that you who loves him and who wants to be with him and is attempting to initiate sex with him would judge him after the sex or the sex that he would have with you if he would respond to your attempts to initiate. But this part of the brain isn't always rational. The part of the brain that can be shot through with horrible, debilitating shame shit. Only he knows what the problem is. And you're trying to get that answer out of him and he ain't telling. Maybe he's not telling because he's afraid that if he gives you the truth, if he tells you the truth, that you're going to leave because it sounds like you would like a romantic and intimate relationship that's sexual, that's fully sexual. If he is incapable of being sexual with the person that he's dating and intimate with, you're going to pack up and go. And you might want to pack up and go. It might be what I should tell you to do. There is a workaround, however, if you have this kind of problem or your partner has this kind of problem. It's to recreate the dynamics of your initial meeting, is to have three ways and four ways, is to have sex that allows him to be that anonymous sexual being that he was in that first instance when you first met, or to have as is, I don't want to call it common, but not unheard of, a gay male couple that is together and there's intimacy and there's cuddling and kissing and affection and a real partnership and a real bond, but there's not a lot of sex that they have sex with other people, often anonymous sex or bathhouse sex or fuck buds or pickups off grinder or wherever. And that's where they seek sexual release. That's where they're able to be sexual and function sexually, but with their partner, with their intimate partner, with their life partner, with their boyfriend or their husband, no sex or very little sex or only sex between the husbands when there's an audience or a very special guest star on deck. Now, I can just spin out more scenarios. I can offer you more theories. The only person who can really answer these questions is him. And you're going to have to press him for that answer. And you're going to have to decide if he can't give you an answer, how much more time you're willing to invest in this relationship if nothing changes. And my best guess is nothing will. Hi there, my name is Matt, and my problem is that my grandma is kind of stupid, frightened, and has lost her critical thinking skills to old age. She gets letters in the mail telling her that Muslims are coming to kill us and to send money, and she does. 
kills me knowing that my grandma is probably funneling money into the NRA, GOP, and possibly into the small orange hands of our president, Pussy Driver. I can't change her mind, at least not in any lasting way due to her poor memory skills, and I don't have power over her checking account. Otherwise, I would stop all of the spending altogether. That belongs to my mom, aunt, and uncle. But maybe I can get her on a mailing list that instead frightens her about angry white people shooting up schools, the GOP taking away her health care and mental care, global warming. Because that fear-mongering would be something that she should actually be afraid of instead of the insanity of the GOP. Maybe I can at least give the liberal side a chance to even the odds in that maybe the money we can't stop her from spending gets into better hands. Money that is basically money my parents gave her. Anyway, I understand this is a moral gray area, but is there any mailing list you know of I could get her addressed to? Maybe an organization that I could possibly donate to in her honor, thanking her for the donation, and maybe get her on the mailing list. I understand this is a moral gray area, but I feel like it's my only option besides inaction. Since I have no influence over the point of view of my aunt's uncles, who refuse to acknowledge she is losing her faculties. Does this make me an asshole? And should I just not worry about my own bloodline keeping the grabber in chief in power? Please, Dan, you're my only hope. We've all seen it in our lives. Our older relatives seem to become more and more susceptible to fear-mongering. And since most of the people out there engaged in fear-mongering are right-wing fear-mongers, they're seduced by these right-wing pocket-picking shitty organizations and causes. And maybe what we need is some left-wing fear-mongering. Like you say, there's a lot on the, that the left could be fear-mongering about, like mass extinction, like climate change, climate catastrophes that are coming your way, like the Republicans coming for your Medicare, coming for your Medicaid uh, wanting to toss people off of healthcare for having pre-existing conditions like the degradation that they are threatening of our environment, the pesticides that they're now allowing Dow Chemical to pour back into our fields and streams and farms, the waste that they're approving, the waste that they're now allowing Trump is now allowing coal mining operations to dump back into streams because it's really not a stream in Kentucky without arsenic, right? So maybe what we need are some left-wing fear-mongering organizations, but I don't know of any because left-wingers place a high value on empiricism and thoughtfulness and want to not stoop to the level of fear-mongering horseshit. But maybe they should. And for all I know, there are left-wing organizations and causes out there engaged in the kind of fear-mongering, mailing list fear-mongering, that elderly people are susceptible to. And the world would benefit perhaps from them being subjected to a little left-wing fear-mongering, if not to stop them from giving money to right-wing fear-mongers, at least to balance it out. Maybe they'll write a check to World Wildlife Fund too, not just to the National Organization for Marriage or whatever. So I'm tossing this out there to listeners. If you know of a left-wing fear-mongering organization that this caller can make a donation to in the name of his grandmother to get her on some really good left-wing fear-mongering mailing lists, Give us a call, 206-302-2064. Share the names of those organizations, and uh, let's see if we can't make the world a better place using extremely shitty means. Hi, Dan. I'm calling about the woman who was surprised that her doctor at her routine gynecological exam didn't do an STI test. 
I think she's assuming that the doctor is ignorant when actually the doctor is being pragmatic. Those extra tests cost extra money, and while some people's insurance may make that not a deal for them, it does add to the cost for other people. And so a doctor is not going to just add on extra tests if they know the patient's married, uh, and thus there's a low likelihood that they would need them. I think she should do it if the patient asked for it. But if a patient was married and saw those extra tests on their bill, they might be a little hacked off. And they can be very expensive to add a couple of extra blood tests or something. So doctors try to help with that if they're good doctors. Bad doctors will just add tests without, you know, taking into account the cost. But we shouldn't assume that this doctor was being an idiot when she actually might have tried to be helpful. I'm calling response to episode 550 with the... um submissive woman who had a, had her dom have anal sex with her without her permission. To me, this, as someone who's been in the kink scene for 10 years plus, this just reeks of amateur behavior on both ends. Basically, what I would say is, if they've been doing this for about three months, there is, they should have discussed hard limits in advance. And it doesn't sound like she told him this is a hard limit. It doesn't sound like he asked the, about her hard limit. This is just general status quo default DS kind of uh, best practices. So uh, I'm not letting him off the hook here. Uh, Obviously, he should have had that conversation with her as the dom in advance of any play they've had. But just to me, it seems like they're both new at this. And I would consider it somewhat of a forgivable offense, considering he seems to have a kind of screwed up idea of what a dom is. I'd say going forward, both should just discuss hard limits up front. Hey, Dan. Um, I'm calling about your response to the woman in episode 550 who said that she felt obligated to um, give that guy an orgasm. And I was kind of surprised that you presented it as just a very black and white issue of either pity fuck or fear fuck. And I think probably a more common thing that a lot more women have experienced is just doing that out of social pressure. And, um, you know, especially with hookup culture on college campuses today, there's definitely a lot of pressure on girls to feel like, you know, that's what they have to do to be accepted. Like, you know, there's can't go back to someone's house and just like make out and cuddle. Whether you realize it or not, it's kind of like frowned upon. But, um, you know, and even things like blue balls or whatever, from a young age, a lot of girls are kind of taught like you have to make the guy come because otherwise they're going to be in pain and you're going to be an asshole. And as far as feeling or being obligated, um, you know, that'd be great in an ideal world, but I feel like not a lot of guys feel obligated to reciprocate in terms of giving head and stuff. So my advice is, you know, do what you want to do and act like a dude. And if the guy's not satisfied, um, he should have to, you know, advocate for himself. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Be sure to also subscribe to Blabbermouth, the Strangers' weekly political podcast, with me sitting in with Eli Sanders and Rich Smith on a regular basis to discuss the news of the week and politics and Gen X versus the Millennials versus the Boomers every week on Blabbermouth. Hump, my porn film festival, is touring the country right now. Go to humpfilmfest.com for information about where Hump is coming so you can get to your local theater when it's your time to get Hump. And if you want to be in Hump next year, make a film for Hump, you can go to humpfilmfest.com and click on submit for information about making a five-minute or less porn film for Hump.
Follow me on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Erica Moen on Twitter at Erica Moen. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Rescue Dan Nancy. And I'll be back at you next week for another installment of Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading. <laughs>